Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Arrowed by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 30 The Queen of the Universe wept. The man with the fractured face, held together by stitches and gauze, took a hold of his angry companion. Other visible earthers looked at me with fear in their eyes. I was too weak to react, weak and still a little disorientated. Yet the heretic's fear strengthened and pleased me. A smile came to my lips as I momentarily envisaged having them all killed, and Kokani too, and those fucking weird red-eyed robots. Kill them all! Then lay me down on a bed to sleep deep and sleep easy. But reality tugged me back to wakefulness. Before me, I could see the fear of the visible earthers give way to uncertainty. Then, amongst some of them, uncertainty give way to calculation. They remained in awe of me, but their thoughts were turning to survival, and I was as vulnerable to their desperation as they were to my power and majesty. These, after all, were the neighbours, perhaps even the relations, of the young villager who had massacred seven armed guardsmen. Yet the smile remained on my lips, and it was anger, not fear, that smouldered in my belly. If they harmed me, their own deaths would be terrible. But I had no sooner savoured this thought than it gave way to another. Looking to the woman with the beautiful eyes and the dead cold bundle in her arms, I knew for a certainty that no death, however awful, could compare to the agony of their living. The anger left my belly, leaving only emptiness inside me. I knew for certain these survivors were capable of anything, and no threat could contain them. Unsupported, my smile collapsed. All was still, as if we were figures in a painting. Then... Kokani spoke. The queen of the universe wept, he said. His voice was soft, weak even, and tears spilled from his eyes, cleaning away the heretic's spit. Then he beat his hands on his chest and repeated himself. The queen of the universe wept. It was the most idiotic piece of ham acting I'd ever seen and absolutely guaranteed to get me and he slaughtered. But somehow I could not bring myself to laugh at him and his very stupidity and cod emotionality was fascinating. 
It was only with the greatest of effort that I forced myself to snatch a glance at the visible earthers. All of them were staring wide-eyed at Cockani. When he repeated himself again, even I believed he genuinely felt the wonder and regret of the words he spoke. The Queen of the Universe wept as space her consort asked again. Who filled your belly, my darling? Who put the heat of life therein? I have lain with you alone, said she. If I deceive, may the stars grow dim. Space wrapped her in his ebony cloak, kissed her teary face and grinned. Am I to believe, chuckled he, that you alone are without sin? But the queen of the universe refused to admit to any other suitor. Ah, well, space laughed. A father I'll be, and none will ever be better. I'll dandle the bairns on my knee, give them every gold and treasure, and ask only that they revere me, or else I'll make them suffer. Space made to leave then, but the queen of the universe spoke, If I may ask one memento of you, would you leave me your fine black cloak? Unclipping his cloak, space turned then to return to his life of jest and play. But the queen had one last request of him. Look with tenderness on my journey. For I travel the path to birth and blood, where death and life both demand their pay, and which of them shall triumph, neither fools nor the wise can say. Space shrugged and smiled, then asked his lover once again, Who filled your belly, my darling? Who put the heat of life therein? Kokani stopped speaking. No one else spoke. The silence around us was alive, tingling, vibrant with the thoughts of all who had listened to the auger's recital. A needle of pain pierced my breast and my eyes felt damp. Memories tugged and rattled, demanding attention, but I was strong enough to deny them. Instead, my thoughts, seeking as it were strength and comfort in the far older and deeper memory of the human race, recalled the second part of the Songs of Departing.
estranged from space, the queen of the universe gave birth to four children. Fearing her consort's wrath, the mother goddess swaddled each of her babes in a silken cloth and hid them deep in the blackest folds of space's cloak. Jupiter, the firstborn, was bound in silk as white as milk and trimmed with a golden brocade. Saturn, the nextborn, was fastened in green as pale as spring shoots. Uranus's wrappings were the blue of a sky drowned in an ocean, whilst the youngest, Neptune, wore the purple of daylight dying. To each child the queen sang a song of departing, yet each song contained a vow that separation would be brief. For no love can be sundered long. Then the mother goddess gave the cloak to her most trusted maid, the very one that Enfeshkar had tried to seduce, asking her to hide it well. This the loyal servant did, but died before she could tell her mistress where the cloak and the children were hidden. Some traditions have the maid being seduced by space and dying in ecstasy. Others say she died a violent death at his hands. Indeed, there exists a whole genre of tales dealing with the maid's demise. Some gruesome, some erotic, some a blending of the two. Whatever the manner of her death, the secret died with her, and so the children remained hidden, hidden, lost, and scared, deep in the dark folds of Spacey's black garment. Kokani looked at his small audience of burnt and broken visible earthers, and said quietly, There is much in the songs of departing that all humanity agrees on. These were not the wisest of words for an augur to say to a bunch of desperate heretics, for they hinted at that on which humanity does not agree. How to interpret the third part of the Songs of Departing, the section that describes what happened after the children began singing? It is this disagreement that has spilled a scarlet stain over much of the history of the human race, and which played a considerable part in the tragedy that had befallen the people standing around Kokani. But there Kokani stood, with his weak yet soothing, compelling voice, looking the very image of a saint inviting the heathen to join in a reasonable discussion, which, as endless examples throughout history have shown, often in quite graphic detail, would utterly fail to convert the wicked to righteousness, but would absolutely lead the saint to a long and agonising martyrdom. It was a time for running fast towards the nearest exit, but I could not turn away. My legs would not move. My gaze remained fixed on that holy lunatic. Unasked, I had become part of the story of Kokani's life. My fate was now bound up with his. Yet his 
the poor bastard was just as tightly bound up with mine. for listening to this latest chapter of Marcus Marcus and the Hurting Heart. Stay tuned for future chapters and mind tell your friends and relations and ancient enemies about the podcast. If you want to know more about my work, you can follow me on rapfultonstories.weebly.com My Instagram is at Celtic Tales Galway and my Twitter is at Havering Rab.